Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. But now, let's get into the Word of God. Uh, the last few weeks, we, we've been studying about a number of things, about how to, how to endure through difficult times until we get to the place that God has promised us, so we begin to see you know, some of the, the blessings that, that, he, that he has indeed put in his word for us. And so that prompted me to continue with, it, with a new series that, that we've entitled The Blessings, note that that's plural, The Blessings of Sowing. Now, full transparency, I cut my teeth on the word faith teachings of Kenneth Hagin, Oral Roberts, uh, Kenneth Copeland, and others, and I have seen God bless my life in multiple ways as I've learned to sow multiple types of seeds in my life. And I could sit here forever and tell you stories of how I sowed a seed and I, I saw God come through and meet a need. And, and I am unashamedly a supporter of that. But I want to also tell you that as I've been studying for this series, I have been learning things about sowing that I never knew before. And, and it's really encouraging me because I believe God wants to do some great things in us and through us. And that's not just some kind of promotional bumper sticker. That, that's what I am getting a deeper revelation of than ever before, is that God wants to impact our world through us. But one of the things that has to happen is we have got to grow in our revelation and understanding and application of what it means to sow seeds. So I ask you, if you would, please, go with me to the book of Genesis, and we're going to start with, with the concept of the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. How many of you are familiar with the law of gravity? Got four of you who studied in high school science. Is that it? The rest of you? Well, how many of you are grateful for gravity? Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, do you realize first service they didn't? Nobody was really, I think they all wanted to be superheroes and fly around. I, I don't know what it was. But, but we're grateful for gravity because gravity helps us have order and, and helps the world to function the way God intended. There is also a spiritual law, just like there is a natural law of gravity, that is the law of sowing and reaping. And the first place we see this is in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 22. And this is the post-alluvial encounter between God and Noah. The, the, the flood has happened, the waters have receded, and Noah is having an encounter with God. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed or sowed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Did you know that the earth is not cursed? It's not. The earth is intended to prosper and thrive and bless your life. Now, you may not see it that way sometimes, but that is God's intent. But we need to continue. I will never curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Isn't it the truth? I mean, how many of us, you know, and, you know, we have these weird thoughts and we're thinking, where did that come from? 
That's not a good thought. I'm not supposed to have thoughts like that, but, but that's the problem. It's not just us, it's everybody. And yet, despite the problems that people have, God did not say that the earth is cursed. Our dysfunction does not render the earth cursed and unable to produce blessings in our life. And you can chew on that thought. I will never again destroy all the living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So this is, this is a physical principle, but it's also a spiritual one. The law of sowing and reaping. This is what Paul wrote to the Galatians when he at the very end of his letter. So Galatians chapter 6 and 7. Don't be misled or lied to. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, say always, harvest what you plant. Have you been harvesting some thorns? Just asking, perhaps you planted thorns. Have you been harvesting some joy? Perhaps you planted some joy. We love the, the, the upside of that verse where, you know, hey, we're going to give and God's going to bless us back. But we also have to own the reality that some of the stuff we do is self-inflicted. And so we've got to figure out how to separate ourselves from sowing the, the toxic stuff and sowing some stuff that's going to produce the fruit that we want to see in our own lives. Amen? Because God is a just God. And he will watch over his word and he will always perform it. And so we, we need that. And, and so as we begin to expand our understanding of sowing and what can be sowed, we have to think about the greatest seed that was ever given, that was ever deposited, that was ever planted. And the greatest seed that was ever sown was the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And we know it's a seed because Christ said it was. And when you go to John's gospel, the 12th chapter, Jesus is talking. And it says that he replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory or to fulfill his purpose. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, unless it is planted and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. I'm one of those lives. My parents were two of those lives. My I know for a fact that my father's mother was born again because she was a very devout Baptist one. She was one of those lives. And if you trace back all the way to Christ, you find multiple generation blessings, all of which flowed out of one man being completely obedient to what God asked him to do. And that was to sow his life, to give his life in order to produce multiplied blessings in multiplied places. Was it easy? No. Was it just for him? No. You see, Christ continued in the same passage and said this, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, must be willing to sow their life because my servants must be where I am. 
and my Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I need to sow my life, but it hurts. It hurts me emotionally. hurts me mentally. I know what it's going to cause me physically. I know that at some point, God, my Father, is going to turn his back on me because of the injustice of everything that's happening. And yet I know that all of my destiny, all of my purpose, all of my potential is critically tied to the willingness I have to sow my life in service of others, to make the kingdom of God my greatest priority. Now, I believe very strongly that everyone is born with a purpose. Aren't we? You've heard, you've heard sermons on that. Hey, you have a purpose. Discover your God-given purpose. Walk in your God-given anointing. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You have a reason to be on this planet, and it's to make a difference and to do something significant. We all love those sermons. Don't we love those sermons? That you can say yes at this point. You can actually enter again. You can say, yes, we do. I, I like those motivational messages. I like to preach those motivational messages. But, but what if... The key to releasing our potential is to lay our life down and sow ourselves into the kingdom. Because unless we die to self, we can't live to Christ. And our purpose is tied with living with Christ. So we have these verses of Jesus talking about our lives as seeds. But then we also have the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Again, just like Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians, he wrote a letter to the the Romans. And, And for 11 chapters in that letter, he talks about what Jesus did for us. He talks about salvation by grace. He lays out what's called the Roman road, the theology of why we are all sinners and why we all have no reason to have confidence in our flesh, but that, but that we have this incredible gift that God has given us, and it's, it's a righteousness that's not ours, that, that we literally can, can boldly proclaim that we are righteous people. I can stand before any human being on this planet and say without shame, without guilt, without hesitation, I, Reese Bowling, am a righteous man. I'm a righteous man. Doesn't matter what you saw me do. It doesn't matter what you saw me not do. It doesn't matter what you heard me say. None of those things have anything to do with my righteousness. My righteousness is 100% a free gift of God. It's all on him because he laid his life down so that that righteousness could come into my, my very soul. That's very important. But that truth carries with it a response on our part. And that's what he's doing in chapter 12. He begins to talk about what is it we should do in response to what Jesus did for us. And so, dear brothers and sisters, he begins in chapter 9, or chapter 12. I plead with you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable, just as he found Noah's sacrifice acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying that we should sow our lives. We should sow our lives into God's kingdom, into God's purposes, not to atone for our sin. That's not why we're doing this. That's not what Paul is alluding to, but because any other response to his grace is unacceptable. There's no other, I mean, God does this for you. What should you do? You should say, here I am, take all of me. And even though any other response is unacceptable, it is unfortunately not uncommon. In fact, not sowing lives is the most common response any of us have to God's grace. This was illustrated by, by the story of Jesus and the ten lepers. Are you familiar with that story where the ten lepers came? Jesus is walking along the border of Samaria and Israel, and there's these ten lepers, and they come, and Christ prays for them, and they get delivered. And it says that all but one Samaritan turned. The nine of them turn away, and they may have even said, oh, thank you, thank you, God, thank you, but it doesn't say anything, but only one turned back to Christ. Only one came to Jesus, knelt at his feet, and said, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Jesus looks out and says, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? And, and the question for us is, what is our response going to be to God's unmerited gift of salvation and grace and righteousness? Will we be like the nine or the one? In my mind, as I was preparing this, I, I, I had this thought. If we set aside our fears and anxieties, and I, honestly, I, I think fears and anxieties are, are a large portion of why we don't sow our, our complete selves, why we hold part of ourselves back. We want to protect part of ourselves. We're, we're concerned about this whole emotional thing because Jesus said, my soul is troubled. Yeah, because you knew exactly what you were going to get into, and we're afraid that we may have to do something similar. And yet we know that God says that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect, right? There's good things on the other side, but, but we hold part of ourselves back. If we give up our ambitions, not, not our dreams, because I think God gives dreams to people. I do. I think God wants you to accomplish your dreams. But there's some selfish ambitions that, that we got to call out as being what they are. We give up our ambitions and we really pursue living for the kingdom. What does that look like? And what will happen? What would happen in your family if you really laid your life down for the kingdom? What would happen in your community, in your neighborhood, in your school, your place of business? What would happen to, to the metropolitan area of Denver? Well, for one, I don't think it's going to be bad. Because I know what Jesus said about seeking first the kingdom. It's in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. Many of you could quote this because you've memorized it. And he said, don't worry about these things, 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 saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
people who don't know God. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, not just, you know, sow good seeds. God is just. If you sow thistles, you're going to get thistles. You, you know what I'm saying? You can't keep doing bad things and expect good things to happen. But if you seek the kingdom and you live righteously, he will give you everything you need. Incredible promise. And, and it, it dresses perhaps the most fundamental tension that exists in our souls. And that's the tension between this world and the world to come. And Christ described it this way in, in Matthew 6.24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Money is, is a metaphor. Money is symbolic. Money is the preoccupation with this world and, and everything that has to do with this world. God is more interested in eternity. Now, he knows you live here, and he wants to bless you, and the, the scriptures are explicit about that. I want you to, to prosper and thrive. In fact, I just will tell you that if you'll seek first my kingdom, I know everything you have need of, and I want to give it to you in abundance. But the reality is that you're an eternal creature, and if you're only occupied with money, with this, etern with this, with this immediate thing that is around us, you will never discover your potential because you'll never fully understand the will of God, and you'll never move into that place of supernatural blessings that the Lord has for us. So how do I separate myself from this, from this tension between the here and now and the kingdom that is to come? How do I really sow my life into the kingdom of God? How do I lay it all down? I'm still musing on that, still thinking on that. But it, my musings did prompt me to ask myself three questions. And I'm going to ask them to you as well. The first question is this. Do we want our lives to be easy or impactful? Well, can't they be both? <laughs> I mean, seriously, do I want to be easier or impactful? Here's the problem. I don't know that they can. I really don't. Maybe they can sometimes, but, but sometimes being impactful can be painful. At this leadership conference I was at, the CEO, the chief executive officer of Intel Corporation was one of the keynote speakers or one of the, the, the featured speakers. Intel has 140,000 employees. His story is that he graduated from a community college, went to work for Intel, then went to, uh, got his bachelor's, eventually his master's at Stanford, and, and he worked there for 30 years, and he had one dream. And that dream, he, was, he is a man of faith. He is a Christian. He said, my dream was to be the CEO of Intel Corporation. After giving myself to that company for 30 years, they fired me. They pushed me out in the middle of a political uh, tug of war that was going on. He was one of the senior executives, and he found himself shoved out of the company that he loved, that he helped, you know, build. He's actually the inventor of the USB port, seriously, which the guy's a genius. And he also uh, was a lead guy on the 486 uh, project, if anybody can remember the 486 processor. But he made a lot of money at Intel. 
found himself on the street, got hired as president of another technical technology company, said it took him a long time to get over the, the, the betrayal and the hurt and the pain. But he'd been out of Intel for about a decade. Intel went through a very difficult season. They reached out to him and said, would you come back and be our CEO? Would you come back and help turn us around, get us back on track? And he said, you know, my first reaction was go stuff it. You didn't want me here? You weren't looking for me? Fine, you go. You made your bed, lie in it. Really, why? You know, no, get away with you. But then he prayed about it. Then he thought about it. And he got counsel about it. And he realized that maybe God wanted to make his life impactful. The guy was approaching 60 years old. When you are rich and approaching 60, you're thinking of taking it easy, man. You're thinking of cruising. You're thinking of going to, you know, someplace and just, you got money. He didn't need money. He had money. But he wanted to have impact. And he then went to his prayer closet Guy fasts and prays every Thursday. What CEO does that? I was impressed, okay? And, and he said, I got three goals. The first was, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn Intel around. We're going to get together. We're going to put this company back on. on and those 140,000 families that are impacted by this are, are not going to have to worry about their jobs. They're going to be blessed. The second thing we got to do, there's a problem out there. Most of the critical silicon chips that, that power all of the cool devices we have are not made here. Where are they made? Exactly. He said, no, we're going to bring all that stuff home. And he has been leading the, move, the movement to build manufacturing back in the United States of critical silicon-ductor, semiconductor chips. But he said, it's not just the fact that we need to bring manufacturing back to the United States. There's a third thing that I want to do from my position as CEO at Intel, and that's to, to, to fix the toxic nature of this business because there's just fundamental things that are wrong, okay? So he found himself with three audacious goals, all of which have impact, all of which because he was willing to leave a place of peace and comfort and, and just ease to choose impact over ease. He sowed his life. That's my first question. So, Reese... Do you want to have an easy life or an impactful one? Second question has come out of a lot of study I've been doing over the last few months, and it's this. Are we willing to give up our right to judge to embrace a call to serve? There's people in this world who've hurt me. There's people in this world who've hurt you. There are whole organizations out there dedicated to to trying to mess up this country, in my opinion. But if you're going to serve people, you can't simultaneously judge them. Because, come on, we, we smell disingenuous hypocrisy a mile away, don't we? I'm here to help you. No, you're not. You're here for some other, you don't care about me. I don't matter to you. You judge me. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But if I'm going to lay my life down, if I'm going to sow my life, would I be willing to give up my right to judge to embrace a call to serve so that I might have impact, so that I might glorify God, so that so I can be like Christ who looked out upon the masses and said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. What they're doing is wrong. What they're doing is, 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 is ridiculous. 
but I'm willing to serve because I've chosen to lay my life down that it might produce a harvest. It was interesting. I was listening to one of the leaders speak, and he, and he said this. He said, until Jesus came, leadership was all about what you could make other people do for you. Jesus came and revolutionized the world's concept of what a true leader looks like because he made doing for others a bigger priority than accomplishing his own desires. Prior to him, it never existed. It's a different kind of leadership model. Which brings me to my last question. Are you guys familiar with the expression that a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step? You know, it, it, basically it means that, that you have to take, you have to do something, you have to move out, you have to, you have to say, okay, I'm going to go someplace, maybe a long way away, but it's going to be broken up into tiny incremental decisions. Which brings me to my third question. What is one thing I know I could do differently starting this week that shows I've put kingdom priorities ahead of my own? I got up this morning, I thought of that. I said, okay, God, this week, Reese Bowling, what are you going to do to put the kingdom of God ahead of yourself? What are you going to do to sow your life, to make your life a living sacrifice, as Paul wrote in Romans? Because there's got to be some steps there. And, and they're not some big audacious, I'm going to go do this and this and this. No, it's going to be daily getting up and saying, what's one thing? that I can do today that's going to make a difference. And if we all do that, and we go forward a week, or maybe two weeks, or three weeks, or whenever, there's going to be some discomfort, and there's going to be some you know, emotional distress, but there's also going to be impact and influence, and we're going to make a difference. And there will be blessings that come into our lives because we make these small, incremental, consistent decisions to daily keep the kingdom a priority. So how do we respond to this? I'd like you to take these three questions and muse on them this week. But before we dismiss, and we are going to dismiss in just a couple of minutes, I'd like to ask no one to leave until this is over, I asked the worship team to put together a song of consecration. Because before we can lay our lives down for the kingdom, we really do need to consecrate ourselves to God's will. To have that moment where we say, not my will, but yours be done. And it's not one moment. It's a prayer that I've probably prayed literally a thousand times over the last 40 years. A thousand times where I've come to a, a, a fork and I, I've wanted to go right but God says go left and I've had to say not my will but yours be done you know, be, it, be it as you would have us Father and so with that in mind I'd like to invite you to stand with me you can certainly come down front if you wish but I'd like us all to sing this song of consecration and give ourselves first to God as we ask him how we can give ourselves to others
say take us take us as we are we know we're we're imperfect reflections of Christ but our desire God is is to really make a difference in this world to to not just focus on the immediate things but God to, to focus on the eternal things show us how we can take these simple steps towards the lifetime journey 
laying our lives down, of sowing our lives, of dying to self and living to Christ. Help each of us to understand what it is you want us to do. And help us with our reluctance and our, and our hesitancy and our fears and our anxieties. Help us, God. We need your help. Thank you, Father. I bless each one of you, those who are online and in person. May God prosper all you put your hands to. And remember, there are blessings ahead as you sow beside every opportunity or in every opportunity. So now, you know what your next assignment is? Go outside and eat cake. <laughs> That's your next assignment. Thank you guys. God bless you. We'll see you this week. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.